Welcome to the Craft of Shadows podcast, based on the novel The Jewel of Nineveh by Dewish Basiti. Discover new content and subscribe to receive updates at craftofshadows.com. Now, on with the show. Chapter 8 Assassination The sun was arcing descent past its zenith, and the echoes of the ululations from the priests of Ishtar faded away as Manu struck out to cross the city, June trotting after him. There were a few straight paths through the city, broad palm-lined avenues that ran as spokes from the tall state buildings clustered around the monolith of God's finger and out to the walls at the rim of the city. Manu preferred the quieter ways, rising staircases cut between walls and tight paths between crowded buildings. Still he wore his hood down and smiled and nodded at the strangers he passed, the most hurried about their business without acknowledging him. The houses became taller, the tiling on their roofs more elaborately detailed and glazed with rich colours. Gauzy curtains fluttered behind the wide open shutters of their broad windows. Everywhere, people had braziers placed by their doors, with oily woods charring in them, a heady mix of alluring scents. The rich could afford to burn the expensive imported wood just for the sensory pleasure, some even using incense, and Manu recalled only temples affording such a luxury in the north. The changing smell of the city was not the sole sign of opulence. It seemed almost every window had a birdcage on display, colourful little flutterers singing in competition with their neighbours. Some older men even carried cages with them as they strolled down the streets, tapping the tiny bars to elicit another melodious stream of song. In the lower rings of the city, there had been beggars at every corner, old men with limb stumps and roomy eyes, or mothers weeping over thin, still babies in their laps. Some had offered tawdry wares, knotted leather bracelets or cheap beaded necklaces. Others, more desperate or deranged, would sit crying and pleading with just a worn slipper before them to receive small coins cast by the few whose hearts softened as they passed. As Manu ascended the steps that twisted and turned around the walls and buildings, he saw more soldiers, their bright green turbans recognisable from afar, patrolling and moving on any poor destitutes they found with harsh words and jabs from their spear butts. The rich people, it seemed, did not like to be reminded of whence their wealth arose nor to be forced to cover their noses when passing beggars. The rich people walked slower than the poor people in the rings below. 
They swept their robes noisily with impatient twists and flicks of their wrists, casually displaying the fine patterns of their over and under silks, and how tastefully the colours set each other off. The men were no less colourful than the ladies, but the latter wore strings of pearls and had lines of tiny gold coins stitched into their headdresses, a hint of the opulent dowries they alone commanded. They glanced at each other as they passed, a tilt of the head to a neighbour, a smirk behind a handkerchief to a rival. Many of the wealthy found themselves too rich to bear to walk, even amongst this rarefied crowd. They sat in curtained palaquins, painted with the crests of their houses, and borne aloft by burly men sweating at their travails. The highest caste of them all had armoured guards pushing through the crowd ahead of them, shouting at people to urgently make way for Lord this or Lady that, and more soldiers following behind. Do they need protection, or is it all for show? How many use assassins? This could well be lucrative. The guards seemed not to notice Manu as he strolled casually past them, but they glared at Jum's bare feet, and he gawped from soldier to blades. Rarely had he ventured further than the gutters or sewers and his agitation showed as he twitched his grasp at the edge of Manu's tunic. The thief looked down at the startled boy, ragged and thin. When this job is done and I get paid, I'll treat the boy to some new clothes. He can't pass unnoticed in these streets dressed like that. Manu slung his cloak around Drew, who clutched it about his chest so that it did not trail. Passing through the crowd, Manu inherited a cerulean silk sash, which he tied about his waist, and a few moments later, a twined cord of brightly coloured beads appeared around his neck. How do I look now? Like one of these fine dandies? June giggled. You look very pretty, master. They reached the district mentioned in the scroll, just below the final cluster of the ancient houses of the noble families of Ur that ring God's finger. The spires of the lofty buildings rose high above the people below, casting long shadows across the city. A canal circled the city at this point, an artificial waterway built long ago to spare the wealthiest residents from the stench of their own sewage and to sweep it away to the lower rings and into sewers. They say that engineers from Alexandria were brought here to build the sewers of the lower city when Ur was growing, Jum said. It's strange that the rich still live among the canals of the old city, where we poor have tunnels under the streets. He wrinkled his nose. 
you are lucky to have arrived after the summer heat. When the water runs low, the stench from the canals is so intense that most of the nobles flee the city and retire to their country estates, leaving the intrigue of the court for the clean air and the country life. I find it strange they ever return. If I were landed like them, with a fine house, surrounded by fields and farms, I would stay there and live in peace. Jum grinned at Manu. Nah, you'd be bored within a week and be right back here looking for action. Maybe, but looking for action is the pace I prefer. Ever since I arrived in this city, action has sought me out itself. Aye, and with a knife in each hand. Still, this seems a pleasant enough place now. Vaulting bridges with elegantly turned shafts of marble balustrade cross the canal at regular junctures. These bridges, cooled by the evaporating waters below, served as meeting places, and enterprising men had set up tables and chairs by them and served tea and roasted nuts from the wheel carts mounted with cold braziers and whistling brass kettles. The scent of the coals and the nuts drifted over the bridges and mingled with the thin cheeping of warblers and martens that swept in looping arcs above the water, feeding off the clouds of insects that gathered there. Manu sat down at a table and motioned for Jum to take a seat. Looking around, and trying to smooth out his ragged clothing, Jum sat down and hugged his knees to his chest. Relaxing back in his chair, Manu waved two fingers at the tea vendor, who poured a pair of glasses and delivered them to the table, placing a sugared almond wrapped in rice paper alongside each. Manu handed the tea vendor a silver piece and waved him away as he clucked and protested and fumbled with his coin purse. The thief passed his own almond to Jum, who hid it inside his tunic as he sucked noisily on the one he'd been served. The thief scanned the nearest buildings until he found a suitable prospect. Jum, that fat rooftop there, although it's lower than its neighbours, no windows overlook it. That will be our spot. Go now and do as you will for the rest of the afternoon. When night falls, return and meet me there. Bring my cloak with you. I may need to cover my face, but to do so in this district by day would draw too much attention. Doom nodded. What if you don't come? It's like this, kid. You have to stay on your toes. I don't know exactly how tonight will go. You will be but one alternative for me. If that roof is empty at midnight, then make your way home. I will have taken another route. Or I will have failed. So I'm free until tonight? 
Manu looked at him and handed over another silver coin. Get yourself something proper to eat. You look like a skeleton. I can't have you fainting when I need to rely on you. Jum snatched the coin out of his hand and jumped down from the chair. See you tonight. Manu shouted after the boy disappearing off down the path. Don't spend it all on cakes. He sipped at his tea and noticed that the boy hadn't touched his. A middle-aged man with braids twisted from his greying temples to hang by his clean-shaven cheeks sat down at the next table. He wore loose baggy trousers and a finely stitched waistcoat. The colours and patterns were uncommon in the city although Manu had seen a few foreigners who wore them. The man's brow was creased by many lines, but his smile was untroubled. From a bag at his side, he unfolded a checkered chessboard and began to set out the pieces. The tea vendor greeted him with a cheery handshake and served him a steaming glass. Another man, with a long brown beard, brushed to a lustrous shine, and dressed more conventionally, but also in equally expensive cloth, arrived with two young boys, who jumped around him jabbering to each other and pulling on the man's sleeves. When they saw the foreign man in the waistcoat, they both ran over to him squealing. He laughed and tousled their hair and waved over to the tea vendor, who produced two more sugared almonds, which were received by the boys with continued shrill pleasure. The second man shooed the boys away, and they ran off, their piping calls fading into the distance. He sat down at the table, and after receiving and sipping his own tea, moved a chess piece and settled back in his chair. A beautiful young woman with long curly black hair, sat down at another table and smoothed her colourful silk dress over her knees. Her ankles were slender and the thief watched as she pointed her toes, examining a scuff on her delicately stitched slippers. She saw him watching and held his gaze, a hint of a smile on her cheeks before looking away when her tea arrived. Manu watched her sip it and marvelled at her poise, strong and confident, not at all like the little gigglers he usually chased. Manu finished his tea and pulled over the glass that had been poured for June. He took out the scroll Simak had provided and went over the description again forehead lined with concentration and silently mouthing out each word as he traced his finger under each line. The chess players took their turns. This man had the unusual braids and the well-described foreign dress. He had only one ring on each hand, a red stone on the left and a green stone on the right. This was indeed the target. The chess players were laughing. The target had his head thrown back 
and his mouth wide and his hands on his forehead. The man with the long beard was waving a chess piece at him triumphantly. They stood and shook hands. The man with the beard turned and walked away and the target swept the chess pieces into his bag before folding up the board. All the while he chuckled to himself with little wrinkles forming above his cheeks. He left some small coins on the table and headed off across the bridge, higher into the city. Manu looked for the beautiful woman, but her chair was empty, a half-drunk glass of tea there on the table. After a moment, Manu followed the target, keeping his distance, always making sure there were several people or the edge of a building between them. The sun passed behind God's finger, and the pall of its shadow hastened the arrival of evening. Manu swept his headscarf around his face and continued his pursuit. The target went up some marble steps into a stately house, set back from the street, with high walkways and pillared arches around it. Two guards with spears in the distinctive baggy pantaloons opened the double doors that bore the same coat of arms on the guards' embroidered uniforms, and he passed inside. Two ancient palm trees, heavily laden with clusters of orange fruit ripening, were in front of the house. One leaned close to the arches of the first floor. The thief ducked behind the low wall of the building opposite the target's house and settled in under the bushes. With the fading light, no one would be likely to spot him, a dark figure in the shadows. He waited as the sun slipped away and darkness fell. The people passing by in the street growing fewer in number as they made for their homes. Lights came on and a servant in the target's house moved from room to room, lighting lamps. The thief watched the guards go inside and two more take their place. They were running strict shifts, not just a casual display during the day for appearances. The thief slid over the low wall and walked away from the house then looped around the next building to return from the side. The leaning palm tree faced away from the guarded doorway. Manu unbuckled his worn and cracked leather belt and slipped it off. He buckled it again, tossed it on the ground and caught it with his shoe. Taking a grip of the cracks that spiralled around the trunk with his hands, he swung his feet up and stretching the belt between them for additional purchase, he inched his way up the tree. Reaching the height of the first floor, he drew his blowpipe and sent a wet wad through the flame of the oil lamp. With a swing, he vaulted from the tree to land softly on the darkened balcony. He re-slung his belt and crept forward, alert to any noise and scanning from side to side as he looked for loose foreboards. 
that might groan and give him away. Clatter and muffled voices from downstairs. Pots and pans. The servants preparing dinner. Chattering with each other. The target was likely dressing to take his evening meal. Move quickly now. The thief slipped across the room and cracked open the door, peeking through the slit. A hallway, stairs leading down, the scent of cooking meat and spices rising up. A doorway opposite, slightly ajar, a shadow moving against some light from beyond. The room at the back, the master's room. Manu snuffed the hall lamp and crept to the top of the stairs and looked down. Clear. He tied a soot-darkened line across the stairwell at ankle height. Still crouching, he approached the opposite door and put his eye to the opening. The target was brushing out his hair and retying his grey braids. It would be difficult to get him before he cried out and the guards would come. Manu burst through the door. The target swung around, his brush raised in one hand like a shield. Look out! The thief's expression pleading and his voice trembling. The target hesitated, his lips parting. He lowered the brushed hand. What? The thief's foot drove into the side of the man's knee, sending him crashing ungainly to the ground. The thief grabbed his falling head and wrenched it to the side, delivering a twisting wet crack of finality. The limp body hit the ground motionless. A clean enough kill, thought Manu. It was over for him in a second. Now for the messy part, as ordered. He rolled the body onto its back, arms flapping loosely. Manu tugged off the ruby and emerald rings and pocketed them. He drew out his knife and made two long incisions down the corpse's chest. A steady flow of blood soaked through the fine waistcoat. Messy enough? He stabbed the body a couple more times and wiped his blade on his victim's sleeves. Footsteps coming up the stairs. Heavy boots. The twang of twine snapping. A thump. And a voice cried out as it hit the ground. Time to go. Manu sprung from the window and vaulted out into the darkness. The ambassador's been slain. Guards, hurry. Damn it. Manu landed in a crouch in the street. It was a setup after all. Stupid politics. Too dangerous. Don't need powerful enemies. Shut up and think. Need to escape. No way out of the wall, it's too high. 
Should have scouted better. Wasted all that time lying in a bush. Amateur? Move it. Down the alley, at the side of the house, a guard waving a lamp back and forth as he searched the shadows. Another joined him and they approached Manu's position. There! One hurled his spear prematurely and it clattered across the street as a thief charged, knife whipping out. The hasty guard fumbled to draw his sword. Manu rolled past, using the bulk of the panicking guard to bodily shield him from the attack, up and running. Not going into a pitched battle with armed guards. Manu rounded the corner, just as another guard trotted into view. The thief stepped up onto the wall and pushed off to drive himself into the guard's chest. They both went down, wheezing at the impact. Manu on top, then rolling free and up and sprinting. Down the street, down the alley, a low roof. Jump up. Don't move. Lie still. He could hear the guards in the streets below calling to each other as they fanned out. Assassin! Assassin! Several different voices shouting from different directions. More soldiers were arriving. The Sultan's forces. The ambassador's guards argued with them. They shouted at the soldiers that this was a deathly insult to Nineveh. Did the Sultan want war? The assassin must be found. They demanded. The thief lay on his back in the dark, breathing heavily, chest rising and falling like blacksmith's bellows, his mind broiling with conflicting thoughts. Things just became a lot more complicated. He wondered if he had been set up a stooge for the thieves' guild to take a handsome bribe to do political dirty work, then drop him sacrificially when the guards came looking. Or was it just bad luck? Perhaps Steemak spoke the truth when he said the client did not disclose the identity of the target. Steemak's a greasy one, though. Thinks himself clever. Remember him taunting the king of thieves. Maybe the right hand is seeking advancement in another way. Surest way to promotion is to kill the man whose job you want. No one can argue with that. Manu focused on ripples on the water in his mind and his breathing grew slower. Either way, it means war. Nineveh cannot let this go unanswered. The thief banged the back of his head gently against the rooftop. Damn it all, tried to get away from war, and now Dan started one. No, not me. Someone else. Simak, or, or someone above him. I'm not taking the blame for this. I'll track it back to the source, 
bet your life there will be someone who profit from this. Think, who could gain from a war? His knuckles whitened on his fists. Enough thinking. You're not that smart. Get up and start looking for answers. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Craft of Shadows podcast. More details at craftofshadows.com. Copyright 2020, Dewish Pasiti and Vinto Publishing. Title music by Turku, Nomads of the Silk Road, at turkumusic.com.